Those of you who've been here over the last few weeks um, will have noticed that we've been looking at particular Old Testament characters. Um, and today we're looking at Jacob, Jacob and Esau uh, and their story. But first, let's just remind ourselves of the family that we're looking at in this series. Um, you remember uh, two, two weeks ago, um, or three weeks ago, it was uh, the story about Abraham from Ian. And then last week we heard about Joseph um, from Beth. And so we're kind of going back a step today and we're looking at the story that we've just been hearing about Isaac and Jacob. So that's where it all fits in together. And in order to understand what this story this morning was about, um, we need a little bit of background history, what's happened beforehand. Um, So there are three things that I think are are quite important to understand so that the the story fits into context. First, we have God's promise to Abraham. You may remember that many years before, God had made a covenant with Abraham that if he and his descendants would keep his commandments, God would bless them and be their God. God promised to make Abraham a father of many nations and to give him the land of Canaan and told him that he would bless all nations through Abraham. The second thing that we need to know about is about God's oracle to Rebekah. When Rebekah was pregnant with the twins, Esau and Jacob, the twins were fighting so much in her womb that it caused her to to say to God, why is this happening to me? Now remember, this isn't just any pregnancy. Rebekah had been barren for 20 years. And Isaac had pleaded with God on behalf of his wife, and God granted this pregnancy to her. What's more, though Rebecca may not know it at the time, this pregnancy is not just the answer to Isaac's prayer, but a fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham. No children, no nations. So at that time, God responded to Rebecca's troubled pregnancy with an announcement regarding the future relationship between the twins in her womb. Basically, this divine oracle specifies two nations are in your womb and two peoples born of you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other and the elder shall serve the younger. Rebecca won't just have typical sibling rivalry on her hands. Her sons will father nations and these nations too will clash. And the third point that's maybe... um, important to to know is that Esau has already sold his birthright to his brother Jacob. Once when Esau was very hungry, he thought he was starving to death, um, he came across Jacob who who had some stew and he said, give me some of your stew. And Jacob said to him, well, before I do that, just promise that you'll sell me your birthright. Um, Esau was so hungry, he said, well, I'm going to die anyway. It's not going to be any use to me. Yes, you can have it. So he didn't really care about his birthright that much. So that's the history. Now let's just have a look at the characters that we're, that we're coming across this morning. First there's the dad, Esau, Isaac. Sorry, he, Isaac's now old and blind and a bit decrepit. He's bedridden and he feels he's near death. Actually he lived quite a bit longer, but at that point he thought he was dying. So he called for his eldest son Esau to hunt for some meat necessary for the ritual blessing. 
This passing on of the father's blessing to the son will help set the course for the son's place in the tribe and indeed for the whole tribe itself. A bit like the reading of a will would nowadays. It's about the passing on of what's going to happen in the future. And then we have the mum, Rebecca. A mother, if ever there was one, caught between a rock and a hard place. On the one hand, before the birth of her twins... God tells her that Jacob, the younger, will rule over the older one. On the other hand, she knows the strict codes of the tribe that say that Esau, the older child, must receive the blessing and rule the tribe. Difficult situation for a mum to be in. And then there's Esau, the firstborn twin. We know a little bit about him. He's a bit of a hairy redhead. He loves sport, he loves the hunt, real outdoors type, favourite his dad. He's the one who will lead the tribe when Isaac dies in normal circumstances. But he's none too bright, as he saw, and he's already given away his birthright to his brother. But he's also married twice outside of the tribe. He's taken two wives from the Hittites, and it's a bit risky in tribal society to go and marry outside your tribe. But not only that, we're told that these two wives of his, these Hittite wives, make life a bit miserable for Isaac and Rebekah. So Esau's not chosen very well so far in the eyes of his parents. And then there's Jacob, the younger one, only by second, really. He's a bit of a homebody, much more his mother's favourite. More of a thinker, probably, more of a planner, sneaky little brother. He'd fit pretty well into some of the soap operas nowadays, wouldn't he, this character? And he pretty much blackmailed Esau, if you think about it, out of his birthright in return for a bowl of stew. And then there's the final character in our story, and that's God. God is in the background, but this is the God of Abraham. In today's story, um, it's God that's leading the story, driving the story, because it's God's oracle at the birth of the twins or before the birth of the twins that's driving this story and is the cause of the trouble here. Had it not been for God's oracle, no problem. Esau would have received the inheritance and the blessing and gone on to lead the community normally. But God had intervened and said, no, I choose Jacob as the leader. And Rebecca knew that from the beginning. Strange, isn't it? that God should fulfill his promise in such a way. It's really difficult for us to understand why the promise must come with so many problems. Why do the brothers have to clash so? Why must they be fighting with one another? Why must the older serve the younger? Wouldn't it just have been an awful lot easier for God to do things in a more orderly fashion? And although it's difficult for us to understand, it seems to me that's often the way things go, particularly in families. It's not always easy. So what went wrong for this family? Well, if ever a family needed my professional help, this is it. (laughs) I'd be really happy to see them all tomorrow morning in my office. This is a portrait of an extremely dysfunctional family, hanging in by a thread, And it really self-destruct because of patterns of interpersonal behaviour and deception that have never been confronted or resolved. The problem seems to me really to stem from the parents. 
doesn't it always, some of you will be saying. <laughs> Isaac married Rebecca, and after 20 years, she gives birth to, to twins, to twin boys. What a, what a joy. But the boys are very different. And Isaac shows a preference for Esau, while Rebecca loves Jacob more. And I think that's the crux of the problem here. This family favoritism isn't hidden from the boys, and so they become rivals, not allies. Now, while sibling rivalry is a fact of life, and you will know that even in the best of families, there is sibling rivalry, there's no doubt that Isaac and Rebecca have encouraged this family split. Super Nanny would have had a field day with these parents, wouldn't she? She'd certainly have put them in their place. But the basic problem is this family seem to lack faith and trust in this God, this God of Abraham, that they, they know and they worship. And yet they, they, they fail to trust him to do what is necessary. So they don't trust God and they don't trust each other. Isaac doesn't trust. Here was a premeditated plot to thwart the will of God, the plan and purpose of God for Jacob. It's inconceivable that Isaac was ignorant of the revelation to Rebekah about the twins. So Isaac, believing he's about to die, decides to ensure that Esau obtains the blessing. So calling for Esau, he sends him out to find to shoot some wild game um, and bring it back to him and to make him some food. In doing so, he's really asking the firstborn to do what a firstborn would, take his place as the head and provider for the family. And once the son has prepared this meal, Isaac will then be free to give him his blessing. And ordinarily, of course, there would be nothing wrong with that. But God had already spoken. And he declared the older will serve the younger. That meant that Jacob should be treated as the firstborn. But throughout all of the years, Isaac has evidently never been willing to accept God's choice of Jacob over Esau. He wanted things his own way. So now he plans to give Esau the blessing in deliberate defiance of God's will and secretly conspiring to deceive Rebekah and Jacob. Rebekah doesn't trust. Isaac's plan didn't work out because Rebekah was secretly listening at the door. wonder how often she'd done that. She then cooks up a scheme of her own. She says to Jacob, go and kill two goats and I'll cook a meal for your dad. Jacob will serve it to his father while pretending to be his brother, thus tricking Isaac into giving him the blessing. Now notice Jacob's response. He only has one reservation. What if he touches me? Then I'm going to get caught out. Then he's going to curse me. Don't like the idea of that. Jacob evidently doesn't doesn't seem to be saying, that's not the right thing to be doing. He just says, I don't want to get caught. But Rebecca replies in the words of mothers throughout history, I don't know if you noticed in the reading, just do as I say. <laughs> Clearly, Rebecca is the prime mover in this story. She's very strong, resourceful, decisive, quite cunning, really. Who thought of this deception? Rebecca did. Who said, go and get these goats? Rebecca did. Who said, put on that goat skin? Rebecca did. Who said, let the blame fall on me? Rebecca did. She always has an answer for every question and a solution for every problem. Strange, isn't it, that Rebecca just happens to have some of Esau's clothes in the house, especially when he has two wives of his own. 
She's just happens to have them to hand. And I wonder if this is a sudden inspiration to put these goat skins on her younger son. Sounds maybe just as premeditated as Isaac's idea. But why did Jacob go along with it? <clears throat> Especially when he has... Um, when, yeah, perhaps because he wanted the blessing so badly in the first place. But he goes into his dad, wearing the goat skins, taking food to him. And I wonder if it was simply because of the pressure from his mother. Yes, he wanted the blessing. But as you can see in this painting, Rebecca's there pushing him all the way, telling him what to do, not maybe giving him much option. Perhaps Jacob said to himself, well, God wants me to have this blessing. So if I have to cheat a little bit to get it, that's okay. God will understand. Well, yes, God did want him to have the blessing, but that didn't make his behavior acceptable because it shows really that Jacob didn't trust God either. Because if he had, he wouldn't have gone to the bother of deceiving his father. So wearing the goat skins, Jacob goes in, carries the food to his father, Now, Isaac, as we heard in the story, may be old and decrepit, but he's not daft. And he senses that something's wrong. And he says, well, who are you? you?" And he said, well, I'm, I'm your son Esau. And twice he says, but yeah, are you really my son Esau? Yes, says Jacob. Then he claims, the Lord your God gave me success in killing these animals so quickly. He even takes the Lord's name in vain here. And he deliberately misleads Isaac with the smell of Esau's clothes. But that's what happens when we set off on a path of deception, isn't it? Soon one lie leads to another and another and another, and before you know it, you have to keep on lying to cover up the previous lies. He couldn't go back. Once he'd said, I'm Esau, there was no going back. And so Jacob receives from Isaac the blessing revealed in the covenant with Abraham. But in this scenario, who was deceiving whom? On one hand, Jacob's obviously deceiving his father. However, Isaac thinks he's deceiving Jacob by giving the blessing to Esau. Both intend to deceive the other one. The most amazing point is that through this act of deception that we see here, God's will was done. Because God's choice, Jacob did in fact end up with the blessing. Now, that doesn't justify the deception, but it does demonstrate how God works through the weakness of sinful men to accomplish his purposes. You can't really get one over on God, can you? Immediately after this, we we read that um, Esau turned up with his bowl of stew for his dad, of wild game. And we know that Isaac shook uncontrollably. He was completely shocked. He'd been taken in. And as the truth hit home, he began to shake and tremble. Jacob had deceived him and the blessing had gone forever. And once the blessing was given, it had the force of a legal contract. It couldn't be revoked. However, before you feel too sorry for Esau, just remember that if he had properly valued his birthright, Jacob could never have tricked him out of it. And Esau was really angry. 
His brother had cheated him twice now, and he threatened to kill Jacob after Isaac died. However, Rebekah took charge again. She advised Jacob to go and visit his uncle, her brother Laban, while Esau cooled off. Now, little did she know that Jacob would then spend the next 20 long years with his uncle. But that's another story. In order to justify sending Jacob off to Haran, she tells Isaac that she wants Jacob to find a wife from among their own people and not from among the pagan Hittites, as Esau had done. So Isaac agrees, calls Jacob to his side, and again repeats the blessing before sending him off to Haran to find a wife. In the end, this family collapses under the weight of deception and dishonesty. Yes, Jacob got what he wanted, but his family is destroyed. He's penniless. He's homeless. He's fleeing for his life. He's estranged from his brother. He's humiliated his father. And as far as we know, he never saw his mother, Rebecca, again. And of course, because Esau stayed home and Jacob went off, he forfeited all the material prosperity that would have come down through his inheritance from Isaac. Not a particularly happy ending for anyone, but especially Jacob. So what do we in Camborne learn from this dysfunctional family? Well, we have learned that those who try impatiently to force God's hand to get what they want may do so, but in the process, lose everything of value in their lives. We've seen that God doesn't need your help to fulfill his will in your life. If he wants to give you a blessing, he can give it. If he wants to elevate you, he can do it, despite what you do. God is infinitely creative when it comes to finding ways of accomplishing his purposes on earth. This is really a story of the sovereignty of God. And as we heard last week, as Joseph was to utter many years later, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good when talking about his brothers and the way they had behaved. In this story, both Isaac and Jacob had less than noble motives too, but God overruled their bad motives to ensure that his will was ultimately done. And as this amazing story of God's work continues... We see Jacob reconciling with Esau, something that at this part of the story that we're hearing this morning really seems impossible. And yet last week we had a similar thing, didn't we, about how Joseph and his brothers were reconciled many years later. So what we do know is that with God, all things are possible. And what appears like a mess can in God's time turn out to be part of God's plan all along. Our job is to wait upon the Lord, is to trust, and is to have faith in him, not in our own ways. And this is very reassuring for those of us who despair at life, at the messes in our own families, because often there are, messes that have happened to us, as well as messes sometimes we have created. As we've seen this morning... God is at work in ways that we cannot imagine. As Beth pointed out last week, and I make no apology whatsoever for repeating this truth, 
God works all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. If God can bring such a family as Isaac and Rebecca's to reconciliation, then there is always hope. We've seen that so clearly this morning. There's hope for me, hope for you, and ultimately hope for the world itself. And maybe that's exactly the message that we need to hear after the dreadful, appalling pictures that we've seen, not only in this country, but around the world this week on our television screens. Shall we just join together in prayer? Let us pray. Father God, help us to trust you, to wait upon you, to be willing to listen and to learn from you. Your will be done. When it takes longer than we think, help us to trust in you. When we don't understand and everything seems to be in a mess, help us to trust in you. And when our hearts are filled with fear and we're tempted to doubt your plan, help us to trust in you. And forgive us, Father, for presuming to know that we know better than you do, to, to think that we know better than you do. Lord, whatever it takes, your will be done. Amen.